Welcome to Rewitched, a charmed 1998 rewatch podcast. Join us on our journey as we recap, examine, and critique the series episode by episode from the beginning. We'll be keeping our podcast spoiler free, so we welcome fans, new and old, to join us in watching and reflecting on one of our favorite shows. Currently, we're on season one. I'm your host, Jess Savanko. And I'm your host, Mia Savanko. Now let's get into this week's episode. This week, we're discussing Season 1, Episode 5, Dream Sorcerer. It originally aired on November 4th, 1998 and had 4.91 million viewers, over a million less than Episode 4. So, the episode starts with Phoebe at Quake and she's walking past the bar and these guys come up to her and start giving her these really gross, cheesy pickup lines that are super, like, hard to watch and listen to. Um, are your parents terrorists? Okay, yeah. what the fuck? Great start. <laughs> and then the other guy, uh, oh, what did he say? He, you know, you better ask her if it hurt when she fell. Because I know an angel when I see one. I was like, oh, God. <laughs> At least that said, one wasn't, like, weirdly, like, yeah, imagine xenophobic. Someone up to you. <laughs> imagine someone coming up to you at a bar and just being like, are your parents terrorists? I'd be like, you need to back the fuck up right now. <laughs> Literally, like, what? <laughs> um, and she says, I'm no angel, I'm a witch, and walks away. And then she goes and sits with Piper and Prue and sees that they're kind of staring at these people that are making out. And then they say that they've been going at it for almost an hour now, which is also really gross. Like you're in the middle of a restaurant. Please relax. And then they all start talking about how they hate being single and, you know, how they miss romance in a relationship. And then the waitress comes over to their table, and the waitress's name is Sky, and they all say hi to her, and she brings them drinks, and someone bought Prue a drink, and Prue is like, oh, um, you can, you know, tell him thanks, but I'm already seeing someone, and sends it back to the guy. And the girls are kind of shook, they're like, this is an interesting chain of events, because, um, they're at, you know, now that means she's getting serious with Andy, and then Sky brings the drinks back to the guy and tells him that, you know, Prue's already in a relationship, unfortunately. And so he starts hitting on Sky instead. And Sky sees that he's in a wheelchair and she rejects him. Not that, okay, well, not because of that. Well, maybe, I don't know. But <laughs> she rejects him in a really nice way. She just kind of is like, oh, I'm not allowed to date the customers. And then she walks away. And that's how the intro ends. Yeah, this scene is interesting to me because the way they set it up is she sees that he's in the wheelchair, like, and we do too, and then she immediately rejects him. So I'm not sure if we're supposed to think that's the reason she did it, or if we're just supposed to understand that he feels like that's the reason why she did it. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too, which is why I, you know, I kind of said it like, oh, she he's in a wheelchair and she rejects him like that's pretty much the whole context we got she does give him like this look when she sees he's in a wheelchair and gets kind of nervous when she responds but I don't know if that's the reason you know maybe she just really wasn't interested 
but he definitely thinks that's why. Yeah, and I think that, you know, it makes sense that he would think that because we live in a society where a lot of times people will see that someone is disabled and lose interest in them for that reason, which is, you know, fucked up and wrong, but happens. And I'm interested in talking, like, as we get further into the episode about the way the show portrays this man who right now doesn't have a name and his disability throughout the episode. So we'll get into that later, but that's just something I'm keeping in mind as we go through this conversation. Yeah, me too. I I was thinking about that as well. And, crap, there was something else I was going to say. Oh, the way Phoebe is just so powerful, like, imagine though I mean I know it was gross the way these guys came up to her but like imagine just walking walking to a table and you get all these guys coming up and hitting on you like that like all right Alyssa Milano we get it you're gorgeous like (laughs) well see you're not old enough where you've been in the bar scene because that's kind of what it's like in the bar scene especially when you're like 1920 and shouldn't really be there like I feel like that was the prime where like creepy guys were coming up to me it doesn't really happen as much now also obviously post-pandemic I don't really go out as much as I did in college but like it was especially when I was like 19 20 21 hanging out at bars that I people were coming up to me a lot like that not always with such horrible pickup lines but it definitely is that atmosphere it's also weird that they're kind of painting quake which is supposed to be i think a nice restaurant as like yeah, this i feel like it would bar. be if it was like a club but that's what i'm saying like it was set up more like like you're in a fancy restaurant you know like everyone's in suits and dresses <laughs> and they're coming up to you and ugh, it's just weird but yeah i feel like they just couldn't like pay for another set for them to be at like an actual bar so they're like you know what People are going to be making out at a five-star restaurant. That seems normal. Yeah. Not to mention, like, I feel like I've noticed that a lot of the scenes, even in this episode and in the previous ones, are at Quake. Like, they, anytime anyone's at a restaurant, it's always Quake. But it's okay. That's, that's their place. <laughs> so then we go to the next scene. And we're at Skye's apartment. She's getting ready for bed, brushing her hair. She's in a nightgown. She lays down to go to sleep. We see on the clock that it's 1.05 a.m. Then the time skips to 2.30. We're now in this reddish tint and the light turns on. The man who had offered Prue the drink at the bar is there. He's wearing these dark gloves. And suddenly Skye is in this beautiful dress and they move to this roof location where there's like a lot of fog it's very smoky we're still in that red type of tone she's a little confused about what's happening he says to her it's your dream but it's my fantasy um she's like you can walk and he's like in dreams i can do anything and they're like dancing and i think it's supposed to be sexy but it's very creepy the super weird music is playing And eventually he says, I can kill you in your dreams. He holds her over the edge of the building and she's kind of like begging him not to hurt her. And he says, you rejected me. Now you have to pay. Throws her off the roof. And then like, it's kind of like, woo, in like a really weird way. (laughs) 
Like, it's just, this scene, there's a lot to unpack here. So I'm going to start by saying this episode was written by a woman. Um, the creator of the show, Constance Berg, wrote this episode, which does change some of my opinion on it. I know I talked to you last week about how this is one of my least favorite episodes. I always remember it not being my favorite. I actually didn't hate it as much this watch as I have in previous watches, but it's still definitely not one of my top episodes. Something about the way, I, it might be the directing because it was directed by a man. I feel like they try too hard to make these like scenes kind of like sexy. Yeah. But the issue with it is like, a lot of what this is a metaphor for is kind of like almost like rapey like power and control is what he's looking for so trying to bring this like sexy element into it feels really wrong to me and just rubs me the wrong way i guess i never really thought of it that way i mean i agree that it you know it, it's definitely the the sexy part that they try to put into it it doesn't really match with the vibe not to mention the the creepy music that's playing and the fact that we know she's struggling to like survive and get out of this situation but yeah i don't know i th i think you're right now, i mean now that i think about it it is really weird yeah and it's all about him like taking away her power like she's not able to move she's not able to control everything anything he's in control of everything in the situation and after seeing kind of the build up to this where what is driving this is him being rejected by women so it does kind of give me that element of is everything that's happening in this episode kind of supposed to be an allegory for like obviously violence against women but also like sexual assault so that's kind of like the viewpoint I'm having on what's happening here so adding in that like sexy dance feels very wrong in that moment. I think that is the way they're trying to you know represent it I feel like as you get further in the episode and you see how at least how it ends up playing out it kind of is almost shows how you know it can always happen and how those moments, the, you know, sexual assault, rape, all of that can be overcome. But I guess we'll get to that when, you know, we get further along in the episode and see how it plays out in the end. Yeah, I'm definitely interested in talking more about that when we get to the scenes with crew. But yeah, I mean, that's my thought on that scene so far. And then we move to the theme and then we move on to a new scene. Yes. All right. So after that scene, we go to it's the next day and it cuts to Daryl and Andy in Sky's apartment and, you know, a bunch of other crime scene specialists. And they're saying, you know, what do we got here and trying to unpack what happened and saying that uh, all of her bones were crushed because they find Sky's dead body uh, and that it was as if she had jumped off a 20 story building but they're inside her apartment on the ground floor and her body hasn't been moved. And that's kind of how that scene ends. I think mostly that was just, you know, introducing the Daryl and Andy's part in the episode and explaining to us, you know, that she really did die <laughs> in real life. Yeah, and kind of the way she died in the dream reflects the way her body appears to have died. Yeah, exactly. 
So then we are in the manor. We're in one of the downstairs, like living room type rooms. Piper is working out while Prue is sitting down reading the paper. Piper is kind of complaining about the video and how she's been doing it for two weeks and isn't seeing any results. Prue makes a joke and says, didn't you read the fine print? It's 1995 for the video and 20 grand for the plastic surgeon. Piper says whatever she's doing is working because she's the most desired woman. And they kind of get into this conversation and Prue says that men and women both want what they can't have. I'm not sure I agree with that, but we could talk about that more in a second. And then she says, don't focus on what men want, but what you want, which I think is actually really good advice. That's when Phoebe enters and says that what she's looking for is lots of fun, lots of heat, and no strings attached. Piper then responds to that and says that she wants romance. And then that she wants what Prue has. And Prue says that, but if Piper was in her situation, she would have to deal with the family secret. The, I mean, the last thing I heard you say was um, that you don't really agree about men and women want what they can't have. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to know what you were thinking about that. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. Um, so going back to what I was saying about kind of men and women wanting what they can't have, I feel like this is one of those things that people love to say, you know, that people go after what they can't have, but I don't necessarily agree. Like, I don't think that people are actively pursuing people that don't want them. I think it happens that way sometimes, but usually it's out of a circumstance where it started in a place of that person seeming interested in you and then you maintaining that interest after they stop. Most people aren't just randomly chasing after people who don't want them. Yeah, I, I'm thinking the same thing, especially, I don't know, when, when Piper was saying um, how she's the most desired woman in America and all of that, I don't think... I don't know, for some reason, I, it, that makes me want people even less, you know? No, like when all these people are obsessed with them and want them to, it's just kind of like, all right, you know, I'm over it. Like, you're not that special. <laughs> yeah, no. want someone more. Definitely not. Like, I feel like if I, like, like someone, right? Like, I'm kind of possessive. I wouldn't want everyone else to also want them. Like, yeah. I want them to be like, oh, good for you. Like, he's a catch. But I don't want them to also want him. Like, that would bother yeah. me. No, me too. Exactly. And not to mention, I don't I don't gain interest in someone, like, when they, you know, treat me like shit or obviously don't want to be around me. You know, that doesn't make me be like, damn, like, I want you so bad. It's... I get excited about someone when I, when they're showing interest in me too. And it's kind of like that spark, you know, that's, that's how it works for me. Not when I can't have them, you know? Yeah, definitely. And so I think I that's really exactly think that. what like Piper is saying she wants here when she talks about wanting that romance and that connection. Mm -hmm. I also think this scene, oh, I just remembered. Yeah. Cause in this scene was where, um, Phoebe comes in and she's like, oh, no, strings attached, this and that. It just plays to their character so well, I think. And they portray it throughout, you know, further in the episode, how Phoebe's just this, you know, fun-loving, carefree, bad boy type character. 
and Piper's this like conservative lovey-dovey character I think it just fits them so perfectly yeah definitely and we've already you know kind of seen in previous episodes their feelings about kind of like dating and sex where Phoebe's kind of like you know it's not a big deal to have sex on the first date whereas for Piper that's something that's very scandalous and kind of taboo and something she wouldn't consider at least at this point in her life yeah <laughs> um some people are just different so then we go to the police station and daryl and andy are talking about how sky died of massive internal hemorrhaging which is typically only found on jumpers um and daryl says that maybe the body was moved but it doesn't really make any sense because you know the doors were locked windows shut and there's no sign of any of that so they're kind of just sitting there pretty confused but in the end they realize that it wasn't suicide and it definitely wasn't natural causes so they agree that it has to be murder and that's where that scene ends yeah and i think that's kind of a cute moment where they're kind of going through it's not this it's not this it must be murder and then daryl's like i hate when we say that yeah daryl's like i hate when we say that I love I love the way they their bond is because it's very like Andy's the one who has all these you know very out of pocket ideas and Daryl's always like oh come on Andy like don't be crazy and then Andy's always right and Daryl just kind of goes with it but still never seems to like believe Andy <laughs> yeah I know <laughs> I love it so much their relationship just is one of my favorites I must say yeah, and I think it's getting more playful, too, as the episodes go on, because maybe the actor's chemistry is getting better, spending more time together. I'm not sure what, exactly where it's yeah. coming from, but I like it. Me, too. Okay, so then we go back to Quake, their favorite restaurant, and Piper's working there and brings this guy his food. I forget the name that she uses, because it was like a weird Mr. Manford? Name. Manford okay that's what it was I was like I, I couldn't understand what she was saying she says it so fast I have um, subtitles okay, so. on so I can see <laughs> oh oh that makes sense <laughs> so she brings Mr. Manford his food and is like oh you know just the way you like it and walks away he doesn't really acknowledge her and is just kind of like thanks in a you know monotone way and then as she's walking away Phoebe comes up to her and asks why she's waiting the tables and Piper's like, well, Sky didn't show up for her shift today, so we're short-staffed. Um, and then they walk into the kitchen together, and Phoebe starts telling Piper about this spell she found for attracting a lover. And Piper doesn't really want to do it. Very Piper, very nervous and unsure about it. And Phoebe is trying really hard to convince her, telling her that, you know, it's not personal gain. They can reverse it at any time and it's just about having fun why would they why would the spell be there if they weren't supposed to use it those kinds of things eventually piper is convinced and that is how that scene ends yeah so one note i took down from that scene is when phoebe says i'm not talking about marriage here we have our 30s to freak out about that yeah i love phoebe she always has the wittiest responses to anything what was I going to say? Yeah, I feel like that, I mean, that part was just foreshadowing for later in the episode, you know, when Mr. Manford is introduced. Did you just hear that? 
Yes, <laughs> The things that go on here. Um, so then we're back at the manor, and Piper is chopping something up in the kitchen. Prue enters, and Piper's kind of like, oh, I thought you had a date with Andy. Prue mentions that he canceled. That's when Phoebe walks in, not noticing Prue at first, and said she was wrong about what the spell needed. Then she notices Prue and says, did I say spell? I meant recipe. <laughs> While holding the Book of Shadows. <laughs> So they start telling Prue about the spell. She's kind of dismissing it. And Piper says that she had hoped that Prue would join them, which is a little confusing considering how supportive they've been of Prue and Andy, but whatever. Prue says that they're on their own and to be careful what they wish for, basically. And that's where the scene ends. Yeah. Another thing I kind of noted about the scene is that when Prue's kind of like, well, what spell are you guys casting? And Piper kind of goes on her little ramble where she's like, I think Phoebe might have stumbled upon something that makes sense. And Prue's like, now I'm scared. <laughs> I was like, damn, poor Phoebe. Prue has zero faith in her. I mean, in Prue's defense this one time, they are talking about a love spell, so fair. Yes. And Phoebe's history i can you know but she she always seems to come around in the end yeah she's growing up a little bit i think i think so too um okay so then they go upstairs and do the spell piper and phoebe are set up you know in the attic around an altar and they both have a list of what they want in their guys that they're gonna you know throw in to the spell uh, and Phoebe takes Piper's list and reads it, and it's very, you know. I wrote it down. Do you want me to read exactly what her list says? Are you serious? You wrote the entire list down? Okay, I was just going to say it was very romantic, but go right ahead. <laughs> so Piper's list says she wants someone who's single, smart, employed, which of course Phoebe read as endowed. Endowed. <laughs> Loves sleeping in on Sundays sunset bike rides, cuddling by a roaring fire, and late night talks. <laughs> so gross. So cringy. I actually think it's very cute and very sweet. We really are total opposites. <laughs> <laughs> like, am I Piper? Maybe. <laughs> yeah, I think you might be, and I'm definitely Phoebe. If we're giving each other roles here. Okay, yeah, so that was her list, as I was going to say, very romantic, and I guess, I guess it was pretty cute, pretty Piper. I thought it was, you know, a little cringy, but, you know, whatever. And then Piper Want me to read grabs... Phoebe's list as well? <laughs> yeah, Piper grabs, I was hoping you wrote that one down too. Piper <laughs> grabs Phoebe's list and go right ahead and read that for it us. says that she wants the sexy silent type who takes you driving through town on the back of a harley at three o'clock in the morning a man who appreciates scented candles body oils and italian sheets that's when phoebe takes the list back and starts reading he's about hunger and lust and danger and even though you know all this and you'll know and you know he'll never meet your friends or share a holiday meal with your family 
you still can't stay away. <laughs> and he recycles. <laughs> and he recycles. <laughs> of course, he has to recycle. I liked Phoebe's a lot better. I thought it was hilarious and just perfect. It, it fits them so well. And I, lo I love that she was confident with hers, too. While Piper was a little more like, oh, Phoebe, stop. Like, <laughs> Okay, so after they read their list, they say the spell, and Kit, Kit the cat, is also in the room when they say the spell. So maybe the spell will or won't work. We are yet to find, we have yet to find out. And so they're kind of like, oh, do you guys, do you think it worked? And then they hear the phone ring, and so they run downstairs to see who it is, but crew had already picked up the phone. And it happens to be the guy from Quake who had offered her a drink earlier and he asks her out again and she rejects him again. And she's like, how did you get my number and my name? And he just kind of hangs up the phone on her. Uh, and then Crew's kind of just dismissive of it and uh, Phoebe leaves to go to Quake and see if the spell worked. Uh, and then Crew says she's going to go take it back. And that's how. That's how that one ends. Yeah, so for me, the most part, this scene was just setting up the two main plots, which are, you know, Piper and Phoebe with a love spell and Prue's coming interactions with, we'll refer to him as the dream sorcerer as he will himself later in the episode. Yeah. So we set up those interactions and I feel like that's the main thing that happens in this scene. In those scenes, yeah, I think so too. So then we move to the bathroom. Prue is laying in the tub. She's surrounded by candles and she starts to fall asleep. The lighting changes to this purpley tone. And again, we see the gloved hand reach over and it's the dream sorcerer. She calls for Piper and kind of covers herself with the towel, asking him what, what he's doing in the bathroom and telling him to get out. And then he's kind of saying the words along with her as she's speaking. He says, I know your every thought and desire. And she keeps saying, you're not real, you don't exist. And he tells her that he knows that that's what their mom used to say to her when she saw any monsters to tell them that they weren't real and didn't exist. He starts to move closer to her and she can't move. And he says, I'm going to love you to death. And then he takes a loofah and kind of like rubs it down her back and like scratches her and she starts bleeding. And then he tries to drown her by pushing her head under the water. And that's when there's a knock at the door and she wakes up and comes out of the tub and Piper comes in and asks if she's okay. She says that Prue was screaming and Prue says that she had a thing um, and that she's okay now. Piper leaves. Prue gets out of the tub and looks in the mirror where she sees the scratches on her back. And that's when she realizes that it probably wasn't just a dream. Yeah. So I think also, you know, that was just Prue's first interaction with the dream sorcerer. Well, as, you know, as his dream sorcerer form, <laughs> I guess. And I love that, like, how descriptive you are about the, the, um, you're like, oh, the color change, the fog, all of that. 
I wrote down, I was like, uh, the dream scene. <laughs> I just well, because I was paying attention scene. to, like, the way the colors are different in some of the scenes um, really stood out to me. That one scene in the tub is actually, like, a purplish color. But every other time it was red, and then the one time it was green. One of the rooftop scenes, it kind of has, like, a greener tint oh, to it. Oh, yeah. Huh. I didn't even notice that. I guess it, I didn't, it didn't stick out to me. I'm not sure. So then it's the next morning, and Prue and Piper are in the kitchen, and Prue is kind of trying to tell Piper what happened in the bathtub, and Piper thinks she's kind of just delusional, doesn't really believe it, because the marks had disappeared. But Prue's like, no, they were there, they were there. And Piper says that she thinks it's because she's really tired. She's been working nonstop. And she believes that she thinks she saw marks, but that it wasn't actually there. And then all of a sudden, this guy walks in and interrupts their conversation. And he's shirtless. And he's like, good morning. And goes directly to the fridge, grabs their milk, and starts drinking it straight from the bottle. Um, and then he just kind of puts it on the counter and Prue's like, who the hell are you? And Phoebe, or Piper's like, who cares? And that's when Phoebe runs in and is like, Hans, I found your shirt. And they, Hans and Phoebe kind of start kissing in the kitchen and then he leaves and is like, I'll see you later. And then he's like, oh, I almost forgot. Walks back to the counter, grabs the empty milk carton and recycles it, of course. Because he recycles. And then Phoebe's like, don't worry. After he leaves, Phoebe turns to the girls and is like, don't worry, we had safe sex. A lot of safe sex. And that was the end of that scene, which it makes me so uncomfortable every time I hear them, like, openly talking about sex to one another. Like, It's so, so funny because, like, uh, Piper's reaction of, like, ew, I'm like, that would be me if one of my siblings said that to me. Yeah. <laughs> it, like, hearing that from your siblings... I would hate that. That's like, if you're going to talk about something like that, it's more like with your friends. I don't know. But for you, not at all. <laughs> yeah, no, with nobody. <laughs> you keep that to yourself. I, you're, you're like the most conservative person I know. <laughs> but that's okay. Off air, so, I have yeah, a that's... funny story to tell you about that. Like when we're done recording. <laughs> Okay, you'll have to, I'll have to remind you. Well, I'll probably forget, but (laughs) (laughs) hopefully we remember. So that scene, yeah, we meet this character named Hans, who obviously is someone that Phoebe had hooked up with and just met. I love that Piper was very like, who cares about who he is? Like, oh my god, this spell, I think it worked. And I don't know, I don't really have anything to say about that scene too much. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of the dynamics we've already been seeing between the sisters and things about their personality that we already knew are just continuing to occur here. Um, I like the way that when Phoebe says that, like, Piper is like, ew, but Prue just kind of laughs it off because Prue kind of maybe expects this behavior from Phoebe or isn't quite as weirded out by knowing that as Phoebe or, or as Piper is. Yeah, probably. And then, you know, Piper just trying to convince Prue that she's 
losing it basically from working too much. Yeah. It also makes me think so when we go back to kind of the storyline we're talking about with the dream sorcerer where it's kind of like this representation of guys who are you know violent or stalker types of people um, and the way that when women try to talk about that sometimes they aren't believed or their concerns about men like this are dismissed by people now obviously in this case because we're watching a magical show it's something magic that's being dismissed but um, I think that we should still be thinking in the back of our minds that if this is an allegory for violent men then we should also be considering that Piper ignoring Prue's concerns in this scene is also an allegory for women being ignored when they voice their concerns about these types of men. Couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah, that's true. It definitely, I, another thing that I I hadn't really picked up on, um, I'm glad you said that. Wow, it's crazy to rewatch these episodes and kind of actually dig deeper and see maybe what's behind them because I'm sure that that was partially the purpose of you know these episodes but they had to you know make it more magical and in tune with the show um which I think it was really beautiful how they did that honestly yeah I think you know some of the ways that real world topics are approached in shows like this are interesting and sometimes it's very successful sometimes it's not as much and I'll be honest the way we're talking about it and like seeing it through this new lens and thinking about these things is making me lean a little more towards liking the episode I still don't think it'll ever be one of my favorites but it's no longer one that when I'm rewatching, I would skip over. Right. Do you know why that is? Why you always felt that way about this episode? I'm not sure. Sometimes dream things just like freak me out. So that could be why. Like I have a weird thing about dreams and mirrors um, that bother me sometimes. But I don't know why. I just always was like really like repelled by this episode. I couldn't even tell you why. Yeah, that's weird to me. I never really disliked it that much. I mean, it wasn't like any, you know, particularly special to me, but it wasn't something that I tried to avoid and skip over. Yeah, I also don't always love storylines like this when they're not handled well, like stories about, you know, stalkers and kind of like violence against women. It's one thing when they're fighting monsters, right? who are being violent towards them it's another thing when it's a person like that just makes it feel more wrong to me yeah it definitely and more real mm-hmm. it feels it definitely felt different knowing that it this was an actual person and not some sort of demon you know or warlock that they were fighting yeah so We're at the police station and Andy comes back with these files where he finds that three women all died the same way that Skye did. They were all alone in their bedrooms, locked in, and their bodies appeared to be like they jumped off buildings. And Daryl's kind of dismissing this. And Andy says, no, this is the MO of a serial killer here, Morris, and thinks they have to keep investigating. Yes. Um, 
I didn't really have anything too much about that scene except that it was more just, you know, them trying to figure out who's doing this to be someone. Yeah. And it's showing how sweet of a guy Andy is caring about all of this. Um, I think it's interesting the way that we're now seeing Andy as, and I mentioned in our um, intro episode that I was interested in kind of the copaganda and the way they represent cops in the show. I think I'm more inclined to really like Andy, not that I dislike Daryl, because the way that here he's believing in the magical and in the impossible, when we're going back to that allegory I've been talking about, he's believing the women, right? So he's believing that this is a real thing that's happening. Someone is causing this. Um, there's someone behind it. And so I think the way that he is believing in the victims, even if it's not that they're speaking to him and he's believing them, but that he cares about finding out what happened to them makes me like him more. I think it also kind of speaks to the fact that you know, the way the way cops go about these situations as well, Daryl very, you know, not not being open to all these ideas and ways that these things could have happened to these women. Uh, meanwhile, Andy is very focused on getting to the truth and not just kind of giving up and letting these things happen, mm-hmm. which I think kind of reflects reality as well. Yeah. Definitely. So then we go to Quake again, and Phoebe is there telling Piper, trying to convince her to be like, Piper, I'm pretty sure the spell worked, and explains how coincidental uh, her and Hans had met. And then Piper's kind of like, that's not, that's not a spell, whatever, and not really con- fully convinced that the spell had worked. And Phoebe runs to go meet Hans and leaves. And after that, Piper walks to bring the same guy that we had seen earlier, Mr. What was it again? Manford. Mr. Manford, his meal, because he's there eating again. And this time he actually acknowledges her and turns around and kind of starts hitting on her and is like, wow, I've never looked at you like this before. And he's then he proceeds to ask her out um, and Piper kind of gets nervous and is like, will you excuse me for a second and walks to the bar to use the phone that's over there and call Prue. Um, and while she's doing that, another guy comes up behind her and says, you know, you shouldn't go out with that guy. You should come to Paris with me instead. And Piper's like freaking out <laughs> and calls Prue. And then it kind of goes to Prue answering the phone to Piper and being like, are you sure you're going to go, or do you think you're really going to go out with this guy? And as she's on the phone, her boss Rex walks in and brings Prue like boxes and boxes of paperwork to do. Um, And Prue's kind of like, I don't believe this. I'm going to be here all night. Um, And then hangs up with Piper. And that's how that went. Yeah, so um, I think these scenes are, for the most part, you know, kind of pushing the plot forward. I like the way when the guy is hitting on Piper, the first guy, Mr. Manford, he's like, please call me Jack, and he's, like, lowering his glasses. It's yeah, so I know. funny. 
trying to be all romantic and sweet. You know, sets up the plot about Prue having to do all this work and being at work even longer and nonstop and playing into how she, tired she is, which is important to the episode. Yeah, definitely. And I also think it's interesting, I guess, you know, as an English type teacher, um, that what she's getting delivered is letters of Ernest Hemingway. So I'm interested to see if, like, obviously we don't find out, but what those letters are, I would have liked to know. What? Oh, oh, Prue at work. I was like, what are you talking yeah, about, yeah. Ernest Hemingway? <laughs> <laughs> of course you would have liked to know. I just breezed past that. <laughs> So um, then we move to the manor, and Piper's talking to Phoebe. She said that lunch went well with Jack, and now she's getting ready to go out to dinner with him. Phoebe and Hans are going dancing, and Phoebe suggests that, you know, Piper and Jack meet up with them, and Piper's like, oh, I think our dinner's going to go long, so I don't think that that's going to happen. And Phoebe kind of mentions how all of this worked out so great. And as she's leaving, Piper is kind of like, yeah, great, and seems sad about it. So I think Piper's questioning the spell here, and we'll see more of that in Piper's next scene, but that's kind of the vibe I'm picking up there. Yeah, I, I picked up the same thing. I said that she agreed with Phoebe, but sounded pretty doubtful in her mm -hmm. mind. And, uh, you know, maybe we'll find out why. But other than that, I didn't really get too much from that scene, except for, you know, story's sake. Yeah. And then, so after that, we cut to Daryl and Andy at this dream lab, just this dream research lab, where they do studies on sleep. And they're looking for someone named Mr., who they refer to as Mr. Berman, because he dated the first victim, who... Her name is Julie Derrickson, um, and they say that it's their only start to the investigation. Andy says that the place is a privately funded research facility, and um, that's when Mr. Berman, who is the dream sorcerer, Lucy, because, you know, he comes up, comes in and says, hello, how can I help you, officers? Um, and they notice that he's in a wheelchair, and... They kind of are like, we just wanted to ask you some questions and ask if he knows Julie. And he says, yes, that's his ex and that he was sad when she died. And they tell her, they tell him that another woman died the same way. And he's kind of like, oh, that's horrible. <laughs> Very monotone, emotionless, like clearly does not care about any of this. And then they ask him about his whereabouts that night that Sky had died and he says that he was here in the lab doing research and that there are witnesses to confirm and they're kind of like okay thank you for your time and they leave so I guess the one thing um that's interesting about that scene is how on the right track they are it's really interesting to me how quickly they were able to work out that this was the person they should be talking to he should be a suspect I kind of wish we saw more of them connecting that dots. Like, I get that the one victim was his ex-girlfriend, but I'm wondering why that's the only connection we're seeing thus far. Yeah, I think I think they 
this episode, this time when I was watching it, it honestly felt kind of rushed. Like, within the first couple of scenes, Prue was already in the bathtub being attacked by the dream sorcerer, and there there was nothing connecting Mr. Berman to these murders, and the police are already there, you know, questioning him. I feel like, and they kind of had to, or they kind of tried to throw in there, like, oh, well, he dated the first victim, so that's the only lead we have, and that's, you know, it, it seemed like it was just kind of thrown in there to get it going. I don't know. Yeah, there wasn't too much there. I wish they had added a little more. Yeah, and it kind of makes me wonder, like, why Berman? Like, did none of the other victims have any exes that they wanted to talk to? It was just this one guy. And even so, I, I mean, because I, I think the, the point was that it was the first victim, but even so, you know, he wasn't, I'm, I'm sure that wasn't her only ex-boyfriend, and it doesn't need to be that connection, you know, like, why was that the first thing you went after? Not to mention the fact that you guys are investigating Sky's murder, and you immediately go look into someone else's murder for, you know, the answer, which didn't make too much sense, but it's okay. I think the only reason it does is because, um, you know, Andy's suggestion that this is a serial killer, so it makes sense to look into the first victim for that reason. But I feel like they should have been looking for more connections between the women than just, like, well, the first victim had an ex-boyfriend. Let's check him out. Yeah. And it's not like there was any other connection, even throughout the rest of the episode, between Mr. Berman and the other victims. It was only Julie, you know, that they just kind of circled in on. It's not like they had any way of knowing that, you know, he met Sky that one night and she rejected him, you know, like it it wasn't like in the well, I mean, I guess I, this isn't like too much of a spoiler, but later in the episode when they're Andy's um Andy kind of is, is still thinking it's Mr. Berman and is like, Oh, he's going after women that reject him but like it's like, Well, how did you even know that? you know? <laughs> yeah. And I think that's why, like, the connection that Andy makes later on with, like, what Berman is working on is dream leaping. I feel like if he'd come to that connection first and then wanted to talk to him, it would have made more sense to me that that's why he was interested in talking to him than just the fact that he's Julie's ex. Right. Yeah, I agree. That's right. So um, then the next scene, we're at Quake, and Piper and Jack are eating dinner. And Piper is kind of saying, when I get stressed, I get hives in very strange places, which is nothing compared to what happens when I panic. And he says that her honesty is refreshing. And then she kind of mentions that she has an ulcer and a tattoo. And he says he has one, too. And she's like, is there nothing I can say to turn you off? And he confirms that there isn't and she's starting to tell him that this isn't real he's under a spell and that's when he kisses her she kind of gets she kind of looks around and there are other guys around the bar that are looking at her there's one behind her with a white rose who's looking at her and it's just like everyone wants her basically yeah you can tell in Piper's face, she's like, oh, dear Lord, somebody help me. <laughs> she knows that this spell has gone way, way wrong, and she wants no part of it anymore. 
Yeah, she, at this point, she just very clearly wants it to end. Mm-hmm. And then after this scene, it we're back in the dream lab, and Berman is kind of hopping up onto a bed to undergo more tests or studies. And he asked the other researchers to put him under more of whatever the drug was that he was testing out. Androvine, I wrote down as the title. Androvine, yeah. And they were like, oh, but you've never done that before. That's a lot. We haven't even gotten the results back on the other dosage. And he's, Mr. Berman is kind of like, it's my grant and my experiment. So just give me the shot and make them put him into REM sleep for longer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think we see here that he's kind of like this aggressive bossy person in every aspect of his life it's not just with women it's also with his co-workers um so I think we're getting the idea that he's all around bad like there's nothing really redeeming about this guy at this point yeah that's pretty much all I got out of that as well that and the fact that uh which also you know becomes important later in the episode that he's going to be put into this REM sleep for a really long period of time. Like, yeah, it's hard to wake him up from. Mm-hmm. Um, that's it. Yeah, so then we go back to Buckland's. It's nighttime, and we're in that red tint, so we know that Prue is dreaming. The dream sorcerer is there, and he says, what do you hide from at work? Is it the pain from your past or the uncertainty of your future? And Prue's kind of like, I'm not hiding from anything, but she can't move and she's really bothered by that. He tells her that she's powerless. And if she doesn't want to talk to him, he'll go after Piper, Phoebe, or any number of young single women out there. And that's kind of when Prue's like, no, I'll talk to you. And she gains some control in the dream and she's able to stab him with a letter opener. He is getting ready to throw her when her phone starts ringing in the real world and she wakes up. It's Andy who was calling her and he's kind of hears in her voice that something's wrong and asks her if she's okay. She says she is and if she can call him back and that, you know, thanks for calling me. And he says, I just wanted to hear your voice, which melted my heart. And that's when they hang up the phone. And just as that's happening, Rex walks up behind her, taps her shoulder, and Prue is obviously very afraid. She holds the letter opener at him, and he's kind of afraid that she's about to stab him. And that's when we see that there's a cut on her hand. Yeah, I think think in this scene, it also just kind of showed played more to the fact that he's you know when he's saying like oh I'll go after your you your sisters any single woman that you know is in the area it kind of speaks to the vulnerability of women and how like you know men feel that they can have this power over these single young women and it's honestly kind of scary (laughs) no it's absolutely scary and Maybe part of the reason I've disliked this episode so much in the past is because he's the type of villain you would see in the real world. Like, he's not some fictional monster. He is, you know, someone who 
would abuse someone or would take advantage of someone or would assault someone. And so kind of seeing him having this complete power over any woman, but especially someone like Prue, who has always been this confident, powerful person, kind of seeing her defeated in these moments up until when he does mention her sisters, which I think is what brings her back to that power where she is able to take control for a moment and stab him. Because I think that kind of natural protective, like motherly instinct that she has for her family outweighs whatever his power is in the situation. But it is, it's, it's very scary and it's very real. And I think that's one of the most disturbing things about this episode. Yeah, I agree. But I, I mean, I also, I think that, sorry. Um, I think also it, it, it's nice because I was able to recognize that, you know, she progressively gained her control back throughout this. And I think it can also play into the fact like, okay, a lot of women like this can start, you know, it can happen to anyone. Prue is this strong, confident, powerful woman that like, you know, the rest of us kind of wish we were. And even when this, you know, the first couple of, or the first time this happened, it was, she was more in fear and her guard was down and she felt so unsafe and like had lost complete control. And then it happens again. And here we are, and she's regaining her control and kind of her survival instincts kick in and she's, she's not letting him win anymore. You know, like she's kind of coming back from that. So I thought that was very interesting and I think it can also show how you know that can happen in the real world and that you can you know gain the strength to get through it and get past it and get out of a situation like that yeah kind of like being able to um like overcome trauma right and to move on from a bad situation that you might be put into yeah I agree Okay, and then, so after the little dream scene, we cut to the police station again, and Daryl is saying, you know, the man's in a wheelchair, and he has no motivation, and he has an alibi. Why do you think it's him showing that, you know, talking to Andy, showing that Andy obviously is convinced that it's Mr. Berman? Uh, But let's pause there for a second. That is such an ableist comment. Why are you saying that someone who's disabled can't be the murderer? Like, that's fucked up, Daryl. Come on now, Daryl, please. Like, I'm, like, joking about it, but, like, that's bad. Like, it it is kind of bad. And it's weird because I don't think you could say something in a TV show like that now and have it, you know, not be, not cause problems with someone. But, I mean... I I guess it can kind of make sense because if you're looking at it more as the, you know, what it requires to cause this kind of damage would be difficult for someone who is paralyzed, you know? I mean, maybe. I guess we don't have a clear idea because I feel like you could still push someone off a roof if it's only like his lower half that is paralyzed. You know what I mean? You could, but it'd be a lot, I mean, think about having to put them back in their rooms. That's true. You know, or, you know, the fact that they don't think that this happened outside of their homes, which means he he would have had to break into their houses, come into their rooms, and kind of 
implode their bodies in their sleep. Like, I don't, you know. So the situation, all in all, wouldn't, you know, make sense anyways. But But I don't um, think there's anyone who technically could have done that. So kind of applying that his disability casts him out as a potential suspect. It just feels wrong to me. Yeah, that that's true. That's true. I have to agree with you on that. But so, yeah, Daryl's kind of like, you know, it can't be him. Why do you think that's our suspect? And Andy suggests dream leaping because it's what Mr. Berman is researching in the lab, projecting himself into women's dreams to kill them, specifically women that reject him. And Daryl doesn't seem very convinced, but Andy says that the reason Dr. Berman or Mr. Berman, I don't know why I said doctor. <laughs> that was weird. I didn't even question it, too. I was like, yeah, he's a doctor. <laughs> doctor. Um, the reason that Mr. Berman is paralyzed is because when Julie uh, Derrickson broke up with him, they were driving, and it kind of, you know, caused him to get into an accident and become paralyzed from that. So Andy's kind of like, you know, sees that as motivation, and then... And then he says, the day after that happened, he worked in the lab and Julie died mysteriously. And then six months later, two more women die after that. And then he's like, coincidence? You tell me. And Daryl's like, I would love to. Can't. <laughs> <laughs> and they they get up to go leave and go after Mr. Berman again. Yeah. So the one thing that stands out to me in this scene is just the way it's phrased. Because there's nothing wrong with the fact that it's what happened is how it's kind of like, oh, she broke up with him, and then he crashed the car. That's why he's paralyzed. It's like, okay, that's his fault. Like, he shouldn't have been driving recklessly. Like, why are we blaming her for it? Like, it's not her fault that he's a bad driver. It's definitely, like, I mean, yeah, they they didn't really say, like, oh, you know, that's why he crashed, but it was heavily implied. And also, but, I mean, I assume... I was kind of hoping that Andy didn't see it as, you know, she caused him to crash and saw it more as he probably blames her for the accident because of that, you know, which, uh, because I assume, you know, because she mysteriously died the next day, you would, you can make that connection. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. I think you're right. I think I'm just like seeing it too harshly. (laughs) Yeah, a little too, a little too intense there. (laughs) That's all right. So then we go to the manor, and Phoebe enters. She sees that the house is filled with flowers, and she approaches Piper and asks if her and Jack are fighting already, and that's where all the flowers came from. If that were true, that would be super creepy. I'm sorry if you get into a fight with someone, you shouldn't send them a house full of flowers, but that's besides the point. Agreed. Piper says she wishes that's where the flowers came from. And that she found them on the doorstop when she returned, and that a bunch of them are for Phoebe as well, and that they're all from men she barely knows and have never met. Phoebe then says that Hans wouldn't leave her alone all night. He kept touching her, and every guy at the bar was hitting on her, so she ditched Hans and left. Piper says that her date was perfect, everything was perfect, even her faults. And Phoebe's kind of like, well, isn't that a good thing? And Piper says, no, because it wasn't real. 
Phoebe tries to reject that, um, which I think is part of her being supportive of Piper and say that, you know, maybe it wasn't the spell. Maybe he really did feel that way about her. And Piper says, no, love is a magic between two people that cannot be explained and cannot be conjured. What we did, it's just not right. And that's when the scene kind of takes a funny twist because Kit the cat is up on the counter and we see all these other cats outside meowing at her. And they kind of talk about how not even their cat can escape it. Um, and that's when they decide that they're going to reverse the spell, but just then the phone rings and it is Prue calling, Piper answers. Prue is packing up her office and tells Piper that the man from her dream, the dream sorcerer, tried to kill her again. She says, if I fall asleep, I'm dead. And Piper says, well, stay where you are. Me and Phoebe will come pick you up. But Prue says, no, she needs to get out of there right now. Um, and that she wants them to look in the book for the dream sorcerer because that's what he had called himself. It's hard to focus on the rest of the scene. Only thing I that I could focus on was him calling himself the dream sorcerer. I was like, ew, ew. So gross. So gross. So gross. I don't know why it made me so uncomfortable. He was like in her ear, like you can't escape the dream sorcerer, and I was like, ew. <laughs> literally, literally. But yeah, so that scene, it's. I think I think that's kind of the the setup for what happens in the next scene which kind of involves both the plots combining <laughs> yeah I didn't I didn't have too much to say about that one I think the one thing that kind of stands out to me is you know last episode or was it the episode before they were talking a lot about using powers for personal gain and I think this is kind of the thing where Phoebe was like well if it was personal gain it wouldn't be in the book but now we see the way it's kind of coming back to bite them in the ass and that it is in fact personal gain and this is what they get for kind of making that decision um so it I does, think that's uh, one thing there it does seem weird to me because it is kind of like okay why was it in the book then <laughs> why was it in the book if it was just destined to go wrong you know but Maybe it was just for story's sake, or just a previous witch who had ever put it in the book. Just put it in there. <laughs> yeah. And I also really like um, kind of what Piper says about how, you know, love is something that you can't explain and you can't create. Like, it, it has to be an organic thing that happens between two people. So I really liked that. I thought that was really sweet. Yeah, typically I think a lot of the, you know, conversations between the girls you know those uh deep inspirational moments are a little bit cringy but this one I actually thought was really sweet and very true as well I mean because it's true you know you can't you can't force something like that to happen and mm -hmm. I think that also kind of speaks to um the the, uh, the other plot in the story which is you know the dream sorcerer the violent men and it's kind of like you know these you can't force these things like you're gonna find you'll find happiness on your own it has to happen naturally it just kind of felt like there was a little connection there to me yeah, yeah. so after that it kind of 
you know, cuts to Piper and Phoebe in the attic and they're look, they had looked through the book and they're like, well, there's nothing in here. Um, and Phoebe is just kind of like, well, maybe it's, maybe it's immortal. Um, <laughs> which is like, okay, how did you even, um, but she suggests that maybe it was immortal and not a demon. And so they don't know how to stop him. Um, and then they hear the phone ringing and they think it's Prue. So they go downstairs to answer the phone and Prue is driving home, trying not to fall asleep behind the wheel. Um, and they pick up the phone and they're kind of like, no, we didn't find anything. Uh, and then Prue's like, there's nothing you guys can do. Like, besides trying to keep me awake right now on the ride home. And so they try to do things to help keep her up, like, you know, roll the windows down, blast the stereo, but instead they want her to keep talking and maybe even singing. And then as they're trying to do that, Hans starts aggressively banging on the door, and it was very scary. And then he bursts through the door and starts yelling at Phoebe, like, ever since you came into my life, you're all I can think about, how could you leave me, um, things like that. And Piper and Phoebe kind of start backing up because he's coming at them very aggressively and she drops the phone. So Prue's kind of there on her own driving home. And Prue is trying really hard not to fall asleep still. And we kind of see the dream sorcerer for a second and he's like, you know, the time is about to come. And Prue kind of just like wakes back up a little bit, um, trying to keep herself up. And then Piper and Phoebe are kind of like running away from Hans and Piper freezes him and they run back to the phone to see if Prue's up, but Prue had fallen asleep by then and dropped the phone. Uh, and then the dream sorcerer appears again and says, say goodnight, Prue, as we see her car kind of crashing into a pole. And then we see Prue's car all messed up and she's in the front seat hurt trying to stay awake and that's how that whole scene ends which is what i was saying about how the previous scene you know that's how the plots connect there yeah and also i mean so much about this scene one i don't understand exactly what they wanted us to see with this han storyline especially like I mean, this is spoiling to the end of the episode, but when Phoebe is kind of like at the end, like, oh, he doesn't remember anything. Like, um, this man should be in jail. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Nothing about what he's doing here is okay. Like, I don't care that he's <laughs> under a spell. This is like extremely violent. This is breaking and entering. This is assault. Like, he's throwing a vase of flowers at them. Like, nothing that's happening here is okay. And I think considering the other threads of like violence against women that we're seeing in this episode like including this is so fucked yeah like, I did not like that at all and it would have been I think it would have been better if they had maybe had some sort of consequence for Hans acting the way he did in this scene but they don't you know it just kind of ends you know when they reverse the spell finally back and they're and they're like, oh, he doesn't remember anything. Everything's fine. Um, no, clearly he's, that's in him. You know, the spell brought out that part of him, which 
that's dangerous. Like, why wouldn't you guys maybe do something to get him, you know, paying for his actions? Yeah. So then from there, we moved to the hospital. Prue's being brought in on, like, one of those rolly beds. And she's saying to herself, I must stay awake as the nurses around her are talking about a bunch of things. They move her onto a bed. They're trying to talk to her, but they realize that she is now unconscious. That's when the red tint appears. She's in the hospital bed and the dream sorcerer appears. His voice is extra echoey in this scene I took note of. And she's kind of talking about pain and he says, Speaking of pain, you really hurt me last night, and not just my feelings. Now, I was confused about that because wasn't it earlier this same night, not last night, that she stabbed him? Because she was at Buckland's in the same day, like, that she was driving home. This isn't a new night. Oh my god, I hadn't even realized that. You're right. Yeah, so that really stood out to me. But whatever, minor, like, script slip-up, I guess. (laughs) And she picks up her cell phone and she's trying to dial and he's like, we're way out of range, stupid line, but whatever. (laughs) So he like takes the phone away that he offers wine that appears and he's like, oh, do you want some wine with your death? I'm like, these lines, what the fuck? But whatever, he starts pushing her bed, they're out on the roof. And that's kind of where we finish that scene. Yeah. This, I think this entire episode was filled with some pretty gross, cheesy lines. And then, let me see. Okay, so, after that, we go back to the dream lab where Andy and Daryl come in and they're telling this other researcher, the one who had put Mr. Berman into that sleep earlier, uh, they come up and tell him, you know, you need to wake him up right now. And... He, the researcher's kind of like, well, we put him under pretty deep, like, it's gonna take a while to wake him back up, and Andy's like, well, I don't care, wake him up right now, and then he walks away to go do that, and Andy says to Daryl that he's sure it's him, and that he's gonna kill again, it's just a matter of who, mm-hmm. um, and then that's when, that's when that scene ends, and it kind of cuts back to Berman in the I don't know if you had anything to say about that scene, but I was just going to keep going. Yeah, not really. You could go to the next one. Okay. And then it cuts back to Berman and Prue. And now Prue is in this dress, this really nice getup, trying to set up this sexy scene again. Um, And he's like, do you like the dress I got you? And Prue's kind of having these witty comebacks. Like, I would have preferred... Oh, what was it that she said? She says, I've worn better. Oh, I've worn better. What am I? Okay. I've worn better. And he lifts her up and she's not able to move, but she's not acting scared of him anymore. And then it kind of goes to Piper and Phoebe running into the hospital looking for Prue. And the doctors tell them to go into the waiting room and that the doctor will be right with them. Yep, and then as they're, sorry, so as they're about to do that, they notice that they're in the trauma one wing, so they just run down there instead of going to the waiting room to wait to find Prue. 
Then we cut back to the dream lab, and now Andy is knocking on the glass really loud, hoping that that will help to wake Herman up. Um, he's saying to the other researcher, I don't care what it takes, you wake him up now. And I just wrote hot, like Andy yelling at this guy. I was about it. I was like, ooh, okay, Andy. <laughs> then we zoom in on Berman's face, and his like eyebrow is kind of moving, so we get the idea that he's hearing Andy. And then we go back into the dream sequence, and that's confirmed because we hear Andy's voice in the echo. And Prue hears him, and she's kind of like Andy, and the dream sorcerer is trying to get her to not pay attention to that. Then we're back in the hospital, and I noticed that in this scene, the hospital room had a red tint to it, even though it was in real time, and that felt really weird to me. But Piper and Phoebe are there, and they're talking to Prue, and we go back to the dream world where Prue hears them talking to her, and the dream sorcerer again is saying, they can't help you, you're mine now, and he picks her up again. We're in the hospital where Piper and Phoebe are talking about how they're afraid of what's going to happen. And Piper says, well, we don't let her give up. And she says, listen to me, you've got to fight this guy. She's telling Prue to use her power. And Phoebe says, come back to us. In the dream, Phoebe, uh, Prue is hearing all this and... The dream sorcerer is trying to get her to ignore it. He's telling her that she's powerless again. He kind of holds her over the city. We get that view of the building. And that's when he like leans in and kisses her forehead. And I'm like, why is he doing like a gentle thing? That's like really weird to me in this scene. And he says, shall I say good night? And Prue is like, no, let me good night and that's when she uses her power and pushes him off the roof and we cut back to the lab one final time where his face gets all like veiny and it's confirmed that he all his bones were crushed and he was dead and Andy says this out loud yeah and I think that scene was pretty powerful the way that you know it kind of it kind of took the support from others for the people that she cares about for Prue to gain that strength again to fight him off and, you know, regain control of the situation. I thought that was nice the way they had, you know, it didn't, that this time it wasn't a spell that kind of helped them in the end. It was her realizing her strength and regaining control and uh, killing this man. <laughs> Yeah, and like kind of going off of that, I think it's interesting the way that if we're viewing this episode as kind of this allegory for some type of horrible trauma, the fact that it is kind of the love and support of the people she cares about that helps her to be able to cope with it and move on from it is really interesting. And I think as much as I don't love the allegory as a plot device, I kind of get what the purpose might have been of incorporating this episode into the show through that right I agree and honestly I don't I didn't hate it you know like I think it's a good thing that they recognized it I think that there were certain things they could have maybe executed a little bit differently in the show like you know with the whole Hans thing and stuff like that that kind of felt uncomfortable but um 
in the end, I feel like they did get the point across. And if you are looking at it, you know, as this allegory to violence, I think they showed, or allegory to trauma, violence, anything like that, I think they showed how they can overcome it, especially, you know, women and people who are being told, you know, you're powerless, like, you're nothing compared to me, that trying to bring you down, that it's just not true, and you can actually make it out of that, and control the situation, you know, you don't have to, like, feed into that and believe it in your head, you know, so I thought that was cool the way they had that. Yeah, and I think it's interesting, too, like, the way we see Prue, you know, fighting it throughout the episode, and then in that final scene, able to finally take control back of the situation and kind of regain her life, um, both literally and metaphorically in the situation. Yeah, I agree. So after this, we go back to the hospital and it's, I, I'm assuming a couple days later and Prue is still in the hospital in, you know, recovering and Piper and Phoebe come in laughing, bringing in a cart of flowers from the house for Prue and Prue's kind of like oh like are you here to bring me home but she still has one more day to go in the hospital and then they Piper and Phoebe uh tell Prue that they reversed the spell and that no one remembered anything and then that's kind of when Andy comes in and says hi to Prue and Prue gives Phoebe this look uh of like oh you called andy really and phoebe's like it wasn't me don't blame me i didn't call him and piper's like guilty because she was the one that did and her and phoebe leave them alone leave the room and leave them alone and andy comes in with a bag of food for prue and says and he's like i brought you your favorite and she's like burgers and fries yes like i thought it was so cute um and he says, glad to see not every bone in your body is broken. And she's like, what? <laughs> and he's like, oh, because of the car accident. Never mind. And uh, that's just kind of how the episode ends. Yeah. Um, the only thing I noted was at the end, like, Phoebe and Piper are kind of out in the hallway. And they have this one rose that, like, Piper's holding. And then Phoebe takes it. And they kind of run away together, which was cute. Yeah. I think they ended this episode very cutely with the whole... Andy and Prue, power couple, and then, uh, you know, Phoebe and Piper leaving with that rose. I, I Honestly, I can't say that this episode ever stuck out to me before, but looking at it and talking about it more in depth, I think it has. And I know that, you know, you still aren't really sure about it as a plot device, but I thought, I thought they did it really well, or pretty well, you know, representing this uh, violence and aggression and trauma I thought that the episode was actually I think I was able to appreciate it more this time around yeah and I think you know kind of coming into it with the information that this episode was written by a female writer does make me a little more comfortable with displaying this type of plot line because I really don't like when men use violence against women as a plot device I think that a lot of times they don't recognize the fact that all women know someone or have themselves experienced similar situations. And so just watching it played out on TV 
in a series that especially is targetly demographic, like its target demographic is women, sometimes feels wrong to me when it's being told by a man. But the fact that, you know, this story is being told by a woman does make me feel more comfortable by it. I think some of the things we pointed to and discussed made me feel more comfortable about the storyline as well. It's still not my favorite storyline. It's definitely not one of my favorite episodes. But I think I do appreciate more of the plot of it after having had this conversation with you than I did before. I think, yeah, I think I have to agree with you on that. Yeah, I pretty much feel the same way. Like I said, I, I thought they did a, a pretty decent job. I think Constance and Bridge was... Um, I, yeah, it definitely makes me feel better knowing that it was written by a woman as opposed to a man. And I think it spoke, it spoke to the strength that women can have in these situations really well. So, I don't know. Yeah, I think I, I kind of respected this episode a little bit more this time around. Yeah, and I think part of what brought me to this was honestly the way you discussed kind of overcoming these traumas and these violent experiences and how someone can regain their power and how that's really what Prue's storyline in this episode is about. So I, I do I do like that aspect of it. Yeah, me too. I think the way they kind of progressively had her, this powerful woman, broken down in the first dreamed, you know, sequence uh, compared to, like, gaining that strength a little more in the second one and then by the end, not being fearful at all and being able to overcome it. Um, it was a good progression, I think. So, yeah. Yeah. I also will say um, one thing in this episode that I also noted is I felt less uncomfortable with how involved Piper and Phoebe make themselves in Prue and Andy's relationship. After seeing how much they're struggling with the fact that they are not in relationships themselves and haven't found that love and so when they see someone who is having that they really want to push it and make sure that it progresses so I did gain a little bit of a better understanding for why they might be acting the way they are yeah from that yeah mm -hmm. I hadn't really thought about that but that's true too I it, it was pretty cute in the end to see you know them being involved like that in their relationship because it shows that they really do just want Prue to be happy and find that you know that feeling that they're all looking for I think also it kind of partially has to do with the fact that Prue raised them and is always so focused on them and making sure they're okay and being the strong figure and they want to kind of give that back to her and show her that you know you can be happy too you know this you've done so much for us we want this for you you know mm -hmm. which I think is just really a cute sister moment in my eyes yeah, definitely. So, I think that's it for this episode. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you want to reach out to us or follow us on social media, we're on Instagram and TikTok at rewitched underscore pod. You can also send us an email to rewitched.pod at gmail.com. Join us back next time for episode six, The Wedding from Hell.